one. I want to carry on what Michelle's just been talking about and uh, what Rob mentioned a moment or two ago about barren areas coming alive mm. and being a blessing wherever we go Beautiful. and how that happens. If you remember, we did a series on intimacy with God and our identity in Christ and we talked about impacting the world. We looked as well at the Graham Cook prophetic word that, uh, about us being an apostolic community to flow out the good things of God. And we're now going to start a series that is actually the powerhouse and the key to shining intimacy, identity and impact and the absolute fundamental key is what happened through the life and through the death, through the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the absolute key is being established 2,000 years ago and we're going to spend the next four months looking at 17 particular chapters in the New Testament in order to establish a way of seeing everything, ourselves, God, our circumstances through and other people through the lens or the filter of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I'm this week going to look at why this series. Rochelle's then going to look at what's the difference between the old deal, the old covenant, and what's been established through Jesus in the new deal, the new, new covenant. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk a little bit about why this series and why is it important and what we can expect in terms of fruit in our lives. And we're going to do it through chapter by week by week, looking at a chapter that helps us establish a new covenant or a new deal lens or filter to see everything through. And uh, you might want to take notes and be reading these chapters as we go along. We're going to kick off with Romans chapter 4 to chapter 8. We're then going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 to chapter 3. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 to chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 4 and the entire book of Galatians chapter 1 to chapter 6. What I want to say is last week we looked at a way of reading the Bible, which is very much a, uh, we looked at uh, Lecto Divina, which is about divine reading. Having an encounter with God as the Holy Spirit brings alive a particular idea or phrase. I want to say there's another way to read the Bible, and which can be fun too, is where you just read a whole chunk. And you, you don't think about necessarily what it's applying to me personally. You just read the book of Galatians through in one sitting. Take you about 25 minutes. Or you decide, I'm just going to read all these 17 chapters just in one sitting, and you're just going to let the Holy Spirit bring it alive and raise up questions and help the gospel go deep in you. We're going to, in the newsletter, you'll see what the next chapter is that week. And I would suggest a really good way of applying this series is if we're looking at, say, in a couple of weeks' time, Romans 4. Just read Romans 4 every day. Just read it all the way through to see where the finished work of Jesus, the new deal, the new covenant comes alive and just let the Holy Spirit bring it alive to you. So why this series? If I were to ask you a question, you don't have to answer it now, what do you believe God is most interested 
in speaking to you about? How would you answer that? Maybe ponder it. If you're thinking, what would God want to say most to me in my life right now? What would that be? Many of us would believe that he would be most interested in pointing out where we're not doing enough. Does it resonate with anyone? Don't have to wave, but does it resonate with anyone? That if God got you on his own, undivided attention, he'd be most interested in saying what you're not doing enough. And many of us in our Christianity and experience of God might say these things over us or we might hear a voice whispering in our minds that would say stuff like this, you're not committed enough to God. And then we respond by thinking, I'm going to behave in a way that's more committed to God. You, You might look at financial things or your time things or your servant things and you might think I'm not giving enough to God and you might think that's what God would want to speak to me about he wouldn't want to say you're not giving enough you might look back on something you've done in the past and you would think I'm not sorry enough I'm not sorry enough and so every time you come to meet with God you immediately start saying sorry God I want to be sorry God I'm I want to be sorry enough. Maybe it's just you think, I don't love God enough. I need to love God more. That's what God would want to say to me if he wanted to say anything to me. He would take me aside and say, hey, you don't love me enough. Or you might hear a series on healing and prophecy and signs and wonders and miracles and you might think, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. I don't trust enough. I need to trust more. Maybe you look at your life and think, I don't have enough education or enough skills. The people God can really use are of a certain education. They've got certain skills and I don't have enough of those. Or maybe you think, you look at a situation and think, well, there would have been breakthrough if I'd prayed enough. If only I'd prayed enough. Or if only I had read the Bible enough. Or or if only I had fasted enough. I love the story by Steve Backland. He said he was fasting and then he saw a marshmallow on the counter in his kitchen and he ate the marshmallow and he thought, oh no, if I had resisted that marshmallow, the breakthrough was just there and I ate the marshmallow and God would have broken in, but I haven't fasted enough. Or maybe you think I've just not obeyed enough. Or maybe you think I've just not forgiven enough. The reason I I just need to behave more forgiving, I've got to forgive more. Or you might think I've not shared the gospel enough. If only I was more evangelistic and was sharing more, then God would bless me. Or you might look at your family and think, I didn't give enough time for my loved ones. Or you might look at your Christianity and think, I've not been consistent enough for God's love, blessing, acceptance. And so... Often we live our lives as believers believing the most important thing is our behaviours. The Bible doesn't say dear behaviours. 
It says, dear believers, <laughs> dear believers in, in Ephesus, dear believers in Galatia, it's believers. So if you want to know, the, one of the differences is the old deal before Christ, it was about behaviour. We had to keep it all perfectly. Now in Christ, something has been established where we get it all simply through the gift of trusting and believing. But this lie that we never do enough or behave well enough or consistent enough, it robs us of life and it robs us of joy and it robs us of our confidence and it robs us of energy in our faith. We hear the voice, you aren't doing enough right behaviour. You're not doing enough right behaviour to be worthy of love or belonging or blessing or approval or gifts and supernatural power. And so instead of believing that, as we were reminded, the Holy Spirit is in us, he's come in us, made his home in us, we're God's address, we, instead of fixing our mind on what has been established through Jesus, we fix our mind on our behaviour, of trying to behave better for power or perform better, or get better techniques or methodologies, instead of recognising God has taken up residence in our life as a pure gift. And yes, of course, we keep growing, don't we? We keep maturing. We find ourselves graciously challenged by God. But the task master voice of you're not doing enough is not the way God motivates it's not the way he brings about growth and it's not the way he brings about maturity and transformation in fact when we see an area in our lives, in our thinking, in our behaviour that doesn't line up with freedom and truth and our identity we don't go to work on it to try and change our behavior we simply come to god just as we are and recognize our absolute need of him amen that's how we became christians isn't it we believe we couldn't be good enough we recognize that he'd done something for us and we simply came just as we were without one single plea we didn't come with a loaded bag of, look at my accomplishments, look at my things, look what I've done. We just came as we were. Home. And we were received, forgiven, blessed and included and delighted in and got adopted and got an inheritance. But somehow when we then as believers find areas where we want transformation, we sometimes think we've got to improve our behaviour. No, we come and simply believe what we believed at the beginning. Home. That we simply come as we are and say, I think I'm going to need your power, yes. I'm going to need your grace, I'm going to need everything you've got, and I'm going to need your wisdom Amen. to see this transformed. Graham Cook gives this amazing quote, and, and I struggle to get my head around it. When God looks at you, looks at me, he doesn't see what's wrong with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You wake up in the morning, he just sees you, 
as his beloved, righteous, holy, pure, spotless, new creation. Yeah. And he goes on to say, God doesn't partner with what the Bible calls the accuser. So the accuser, another word for Satan, the, the original language for accuser means the one who stabs. So the voice that says you're never good enough or behaving well enough, that's an accusing voice, that's the stabber. It's not God. And if you think that is God, it could be that for some reason your conscience is overly sensitive and you're not believing a right, the gospel. The reason he doesn't look at what's wrong is that he's already dealt with our sin on, on Christ, on the cross. So something happened at the cross that was profound. The sinless one, the holy one, the one without blemish, who'd never made a mistake in thought, word or deed, gets accounted and considered to be the worst sinner who ever walked the planet and suffers the scorn and the shame of crucifixion in our place. So that the exchange can happen that the righteousness of Christ gets given, imputed, imparted, given to us as pure gift, simply through accepting that we can't do it for ourselves. If we don't ever ask the question, does it mean that I can carry on sinning, that grace may increase, Romans 6, it's possible that we haven't actually believed the gospel. The natural response of actually believing what Christ has done should be this. Well, it doesn't matter then what I do. And then Paul goes on, by no means do that. You've died to sin. How can you live it in any longer? You reckon yourself dead and alive. But that question has the gospel in its full glory and beauty. Must raise the question in our mind and heart. That if he accepts me purely and simply on the basis of Christ, then my behaviour doesn't matter. It has to raise that question. Yeah. And then as we read those 17 chapters, we see again and again, no, no, no. You know, walk by the Spirit. Abide in the Spirit. And we see the power of God giving us brand new freedom to live a brand new way. Hallelujah. According to the new deal we have through Jesus... God would want to say things like this to us. I love you unconditionally. Mm. How does it change things if you hear this? You say to God, I don't want to share the gospel with anyone, Jesus. And he says, I love you unconditionally. You don't have to. I love you unconditionally. called you to be radically loved by me. We always talk about what we enjoy. That's what C.S. Lewis said. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy the gospel. Enjoy the freedom. Enjoy the love. Enjoy the acceptance. Enjoy the liberty. Enjoy being loved unconditionally. I'll tell you this, you won't be able to stop wanting to be with him. You won't want to stop talking about him. You'll be so excited about this love that has unconditionally and radically Amen. loved you. Amen. What if 
You heard this, I'm well pleased with you. Right now, just as you are. Mm. You right now, just as you are. I l I'm well pleased with you. Whether you grow, change, improve, mature, whatever. I love you just as you are. As long as we come to God like this, God, I'm serious. There's a better version of me coming. <laughs> Seriously. Um, there's a better version of me coming. And God says, I love you just as you are, whether or not that better version of you ever manifests or not. Through Jesus, you're worthy to receive all spiritual blessings. Right now, completely. You can move in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they're gifts, they're grace, they're gratis, they're free. But obviously we want to grow in maturity, otherwise the gifts become grotesque, don't they? You know, we would be oh, consumed by pride and whatever. So we want, them to, we want our characters to grow, but the fundamental entry point to words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretations, prophecy, healing, miracles, faith, signs and wonders is grace. Grace, nothing to do with what you do. You are a new creation if you're in Christ this morning. The old has gone, the new has come. You're not fixing up the old. <laughs> the old is dead. Being co-crucified with Christ. The old is buried. Stop going into the graveyard and digging up the old and then putting some makeup on it and saying, look, God, I fixed up the old. No, the old is gone. It's dead. It's been buried. It's over. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Amen. The question then arises, if God really wants to say these things to us, why do so many of us rarely or never hear them? One of the answers is, we believe that the voice that stabs is the voice that's God. Or we believe that all behaviour, all blessing requires our behaviour, an old mind's mindset. So if God is saying these amazing grace-filled realities, why do we hear something different? And the reason this series is addressing is a faulty filter or lens through which we view God, ourselves, other people and our circumstances. Like viewing sickness as God's way to teach you a lesson. Like, oh, God made me sick because he wants to slow me down. Maybe it's just sowing, reaping, lifestyle choices, whatever. Maybe there's just mystery. But God doesn't make you sick to teach you a lesson. Just we live in a tough world. We're the... the the full redemption of planet Earth hasn't happened yet, and the full redemption of our bodies hasn't happened yet, but still the kingdom breaks in and the miraculous and healing happens. Amen. One of the things that's really funny, just as a side, is sometimes people think that God gave a sickness to teach them a lesson, so why do they then go to the doctor? Because that doesn't make any sense, does it? If, you know, we just have to be, think these things through. Just don't, don't think them. You get sick, God's not teaching you a lesson. You go to the doctor because doctors have common grace and, and, and capacity for operations and medicine and it's a gift from God. 
And so this old deal thinking where we believe our behaviour wins us blessing or gets us cursed, it becomes a lens that warps and distorts what we hear. So because of preconceived ideas about God or insecurities that we carry from our childhood mm. or pride or past experiences or just a deficient knowledge of the good news of the gospel, we cannot hear what is really being said to us. Mm. And what that does is it results in this. We want to keep our distance from God. Because nobody wants to come near to someone who's primarily focused on pointing out our faults or where we just need to change. Amen. That, that's not a fun invitation, is it? And I'm not saying that God doesn't tell us and where we need to change our mind, because he does. But maybe our primary preoccupation should be the finished work of Jesus and occasionally deal with areas of insecurity or pride or areas where we need to change. When we are not fully convinced about the gospel and the finished work of Jesus, we find ourselves believing lies like this. That when we behave poorly or badly in word, thought or deed, we think I've become unrighteous through an unrighteous act. Just say you say something you regret saying or do something you regret doing or don't do something you know you should have done. In that moment, do you become unrighteous in, in terms of your identity in Christ? Have you, have you, in that moment, stepped out of Christ and then through repentance you get to step back into the finished work of Jesus? The answer is no. Because you wouldn't say to a friend who's not a believer, you would, I hope none of us would, you wouldn't say to a believer, if you want to know Jesus and know a relationship with him, here are 20 rules to keep. And if you keep them all perfectly, you're coming to Christ. We wouldn't do that, would we? We'd simply say, just, he's here, he's available, just ask him Amen. to come to you. Amen. He's just so willing and ready. We don't become unrighteous when we do an unrighteous act. Our status doesn't change our... Our condition in the eyes of God, we're still righteous, is just, it's just a stupid choice. Because, like Romans 6 would say, when we, when we pursue things that God has said no to, we actually become a slave of the thing we pursue. And so we're not living in the full liberty and freedom and joy and peace and hope and life that's in Christ. It's rather a stupid choice that has consequences in terms of our emotional well-being, our peace of mind and the joy we carry, rather than it is an identity shift of getting out of Christ. Obviously, when you say things like that, some might use this truth as an excuse for sin. But we cannot allow the fear of error to cause us to miss important spiritual truths like this. We have to allow the question of Romans 6, well, shall we go on sinning? 
By no means no, don't you know you've died to sin. We, we must present the complete work of Jesus so that the question might arise. So what can our expectations be? One of them will be as we read these chapters, meditate on those chapters, as we preach these chapters. Please let me say this, that the bulk of your growing and maturity and revelation in Christ is going to be you reading these chapters. We'll do our best to present the main thrust of the chapter and what it presents of the good news of Jesus and the finished work. But if we really, really want to grow in the revelation of this, then I would really recommend to you, say, between now and February, you know, do your other plans too, but if you've got the time, just carry on reading the 17 chapters. If you don't have a lot of time, just read that chapter for that week. One of the things we'll, we'll grow in is a right discerning of the voice of God. That Amen. his voice is strengthening, it's encouraging, it's comforting, it's edifying and it's uplifting. As we experience the truth of the gospel and the finished work, it will become a key to our emotional and spiritual health. Can I say that, that it does us psychological damage when we believe falsely in a God who never says you're doing good enough? It really is psychologically, emotionally damaging for our hearts and our minds and our souls and our being to not believe rightly what Christ has done and achieved on our behalf. It will create a shift so that we'll become much more belief-focused than preoccupied with behaviour. We'll find ourselves free to be who he made us to be rather than all the time focused on what we are free from. And then the gospel is we are free from stuff. We're free from the consequences of sin. We're free from hell. We're, we're, we're free from guilt and shame and condemnation and curses. We're free from so many things. But that's the launch pad for us to be free to be the people that God has made us to be. And when we have clarity on identity, we begin to naturally do the works that Jesus called us to do. You can't consistently do what you don't believe you are. So when we have an identity that says, I, I'm, I'm a carrier of good news, I'm a minister of reconciliation, I'm God's address, God has made his home in me, I hear his voice easily, he wants to love and bless people through me. I carry power and authority in the name of Jesus. I can push back the darkness wherever I go. I'm a carrier of wisdom and solutions and breakthroughs in my workplace. I am a bringer of peace wherever I go. I'm a hope carrier. I'm a hope dispenser. The God of heaven is inside of me. And when we know that, we just naturally do that. And we naturally overflow that. We can't do what we don't believe we are. That's called performing. And that's exhausting. And that's why sometimes we can rally ourselves to make the effort and then we go back to where we were because we haven't changed our beliefs fundamentally in line with the good news. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus.
I ask that as we read these chapters, as we preach these chapters, let us become fully persuaded and convinced by the Holy Spirit of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and on our behalf. I thank you that we are your beloved. We are your treasure. We are cherished. We are your sons and daughters. We are loved. We are delighted in. You do rejoice over us with singing. You, you do love to be with us. And you do love to hear our voice. God, I pray that dreams and visions and possibilities will come alive in us as we say, actually, I'm free to be. I'm free to be. And I pray that God, even as a local church, will be so in the liberty in our being that will be so attractive. Can I just say that sometimes we think to be an attractive church, we have to do something different. What about if we're just an attractive people? Because we're so full of joy, we're so full of life. And then, yeah, we can run things to facilitate stuff, but actually our first call is we're believers. We believe something extraordinary. We believe something amazing. I pray that, God, we would have such a sense of being saints and holy and righteous and unblemished and pure and wonderful, that we would have such a, a sense of that, that it would heal us of even things that people have said in the past. And so I believe that God's going to do this. You read it and say, oh, wow, that's how you see me. That's how you love me. That's who I am in your eyes. That maybe it'd be trauma or things that someone has said or word curses, they're going to break off through simply reading the truth of who you are and what Christ has done. Not because you even apply deeply and try hard, just because you're with God abiding and remaining and enjoying and enjoying his love. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, God. Amen. Yeah, fantastic. So they're the chapters. See, I, what I wanted to say just as well is, one of the fun things is, is about doing this. Say, for example, you say, for the next few weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Romans 4, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and 8. I'm just going to read it every day. Mm. And, and you just read it, just one after the other, one chapter. What you'll find is the Holy Spirit will remind you of the truths that you've read, even when you've not necessarily tried to consciously remember them. He'll bring to mind those things. Amen. So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be invited into.